Thank you, Brother Stephen. Thank you, Gabriel. I hope you'll always remember Psalm 76, that this exercise for our benefit will have benefit in your life. It's a powerful psalm about the sovereign power of God, known by his people, and for us to put our trust in him. And no princes or kings, no authority on earth, can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Open the Word of God with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I have a simple goal. It sure sounds simple, but with our flesh, we make it difficult. And that is to increase your faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That you would believe on Him more surely and that you would love Him more passionately and dearly. Amen. We have come out of the world for these few hours together to be reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe on Him and to trust Him and to have confidence in Him no matter what the situation or case might be right. and to love Him and commit ourselves to Him. Amen. You heard from Psalm 76 that we ought to worship Him by bringing our presence. And the present that we are to bring Him is to give our bodies a living sacrifice. Right. And so we give ourselves to Him in, in His service because He is worthy. And we want to consider His worthiness as we consider that the whole universe hangs in space by the authority of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know Hebrews 1.3 that he upholds all things by the word of his power. The earth that now is, is reserved and preserved by the word of his power under the day of fiery judgment and vengeance by Almighty God. Our salvation depends upon him and his word of intercession at the right hand of God. We are as safe as we can ever be. We are safer than we can imagine safety because we are accepted in the beloved. We are in him who is the yea and amen of God. And he looks at him and sees us there and we are safe. It's a wonderful place to be. I spent some time in introduction last Lord's Day, and I'm going to spend a little now, but you're looking at the text in front of you in that 20th verse, which I hope our children will learn in addition to 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16 is known by one family in this church as the gospel in a nutshell. Now, many of us had to hear that expression for John 3.16. But James Ballinger is leading his family in looking at 1 Timothy 3.16 as the gospel in a nutshell. And it truly is. 1 Timothy 3.16 says a whole lot more than John 3.16. But we have come to 2 Corinthians 1.20. 
For all the promises of God, in Him are yea, and in Him amen, unto the glory of God by us. There are five parts to that verse. I want you to know them for all the promises of God. God didn't have to make a promise to us except eternal torment. That's the only promise that was logical because of our wicked rebellion in the Garden of Eden. But God's made many more promises for us to spend eternity with Him and to have an eternal inheritance of the universe. Hard to believe, but true nonetheless. Because all the promises in Him are yea and amen. All the promises of God, for all the promises of God. And the Bible is filled with promises from that third chapter of the seed of the woman all the way to the end that He's going to send Jesus Christ quickly for us. For all the promises of God, in Him are yea. Yes, indeed. There is no change. There's no equivocation, prevarication, or altering of God's promises when they depend and hang on the performance and word and truthfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one man in whom you can put your trust. And it is not your pastor. It is not your grandfather, your father, your husband. It is not your boss. It is not your president. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. For all the promises of God, in Him are yea, and in Him amen, unto the glory of God by us. God has made promises for His glory. We also benefit, but they're for His glory, and they're by us. The apostles got to preach the most wonderful news the world has ever heard, and that is the living and true God had made promises for the good of His elect people, and Jesus Christ would guarantee the fulfillment of those promises. And they got to tell that message by us. That by us connects back to verse 19 and then back to verse 18 where the apostle appealed to the fact that God is true and our message about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, a unique and unusual combination of words by the apostle Paul in verse 19 was true and yea without a nay. There's no nay. You're never going to be disappointed. Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. There is no nay with the Lord Jesus Christ except all those that are not His elect. So you should make your calling and election sure. And then it will all be yea when you meet Him. Yes, indeed. It is good to see you, my son. It is good to see you, my brother. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. All positive. It's in that 20th verse. For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Men make promises. Politicians love and live by promises that when they make them, they intentionally do not plan to keep them because they're simply trying to gain an election. Some politicians are that way. Some make promises and then forget the promise they made. That's a terrible dilemma, to have a promise made, and the one that made it, the one that can do you good, forgets the promise that he made. Others make promises, and then when they realize the cost of the promise, it's a little too steep, and so they change and will not perform. 
yet others make promises and their intentions remain good and the circumstances and situation that develops is beyond their ability to perform and help you. Do you understand those four options and I know no more for every promise that's ever made by men? They're lying to begin with. They forget. They do not want to pay the high cost. They're unable to pay the high cost. I give you Jesus of Nazareth. He cannot lie. He cannot forget. In Gethsemane, he showed what he would do when he realized the cost was very high. He sweat in his agony, as it were, great drops of blood, but he rose to go meet the angry lynch mob that was there in that garden that was going to take him to Pilate. And he is able to save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him. Do you hear me? He answers all four possibilities of a promise gloriously because all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen under the glory of God by us. The apostles got to preach a message. Yes, indeed, this is the truth and it has not changed and never will change. And verily, truly, which is the meaning of amen, in this context, it will not change. My dear brothers and sisters, doubt and trouble of all kinds assail in this life. Death and eternity stalk you unrelentingly. Trust Christ. Believe on Him, who is the yea and amen of all God's promises. What will you do in a world and time of the worst deceivers deceived and deceiving? What will you do when everyone's a liar? They've been lied to. They believe the lies and they lie to others. We have one who is always truth. I am the way. I am the truth. He is the true and faithful witness. He has as his name in Revelation 19, a capital F and a capital T, he is called faithful and true. That is the man Christ Jesus. He is a far better mediator than Moses was. All religions change their truth or exist in confusion without claims to truth. But you are a Christian. And your religion is, yea and amen, in Christ Jesus, the head of our church. The most certain people on earth should be Christians. And of them, their pastors should be the most certain. That's what Paul is appealing to in these three verses, 18 through 20, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Christians ought to be the most sure and certain of all men because of the Lord Jesus Christ and a God that cannot lie. Allah has never told the truth. How would you like that for your God? God cannot lie nor repent nor change. I change not. Jesus Christ said the same yesterday and today and forever. No ambassador has ever represented a king 
like the ministers of Christ get to represent in their pulpits. And it's found in verse 20 in the last two words, by us. All the promises of God are absolutely certain in Christ Jesus. They're to God's glory, and we get to declare them. Paul is pointing out, we get to declare a message of absolute, certain, final truth. And we, as ministers, are like that. So don't attack me for not coming to visit you with the plans that I made a year ago. And so our context. If you look at the context very quickly, at verse 15, I had confidence of my relationship with you Corinthians, and so I intended to come and visit you again for a second benefit after having been with you for 18 months to get a church started there. Verse 16, I intended to come through Corinth of Achaia, southern Greece, to go north into Macedonia to Philippi and Thessalonica, and then to come again out of the north, which is Macedonia, the northern half of Greece, and come again to Corinth. And then you would help me on my way toward Jerusalem because I wanted to be there in time for Pentecost. And so he had stated his mind that that was his intentions, but then the Corinthians found out that Paul was in Philippi because he wrote this epistle to them from Philippi and had not gone through Corinth on his way there. And so they accused him, charged him. It's implied by his defense that he now brings to bear here. They accused him of being a man that didn't really believe or was committed to his word, that promised things and then didn't perform those things. He prevaricated he exaggerated, he flattered, he spoke in the flesh, but he wasn't a man of his word. The world treats worldlings better than the Corinthians treated the Apostle Paul. It's a horrible situation to read about Corinth questioning our great brother, the Apostle Paul. Verse 17, Paul answers the implied charge that is there in verses 15 and 16 when I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? When I closed out 1 Corinthians 16, was I light about the fact that I intended to come and visit you? Did I promise that in the flesh? Do I just throw things out to make you happy? And then if it's not convenient, I don't do them? None of those things are true, the apostle declares. I'm not a yay, yay, or a nay, nay guy. Remember last Lord's Day. And I want you to remember this. I'm teaching you 2 Corinthians 1 without you really knowing it. Because my point is to teach you the Lord Jesus Christ, but I want you to understand this chapter, and by understanding this chapter, you'll understand much of the book of 2 Corinthians, because much of the book of 2 Corinthians is Paul having to defend himself against his detractors at Corinth. Brother, how would you and your family like to go visit the Ark in Lexington, Kentucky with me next month? Yeah, yeah, we'd love to do that. Yeah, yeah, sign us up. Yeah, yeah, we'll go. Then it gets closer to next month, or it's in next month, and the final plans are being made for a trip to Lexington, Kentucky, and the brother says, nah, 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 we're not going to go. Things have come up. That's a yay, yay, and a nay, nay, brother. Paul wasn't like that. When Paul made a commitment, he was going to keep his commitment. He wasn't, yeah. I'm going to come and visit you folks in Corinth and not mean it. Say something that he couldn't perform. 
He had every intention of coming to see them. But if you read verses 8 through 10 of this chapter, he got into a riot in the city of Ephesus of Asia, and he couldn't come. Plus, there was a second reason that he tells us in the last two verses that the, reason he, the second reason he didn't come and visit them was because he didn't want to have to hurt them when he came. Because he was angry with the church at Corinth. So it says, Moreover, I call God for a record. He swears in the name of God upon his soul that to spare you, I came not as yet to Corinth. There's two reasons I haven't come to Corinth when I said I was going to. One, I ran into trouble. Two, you should be thankful I didn't come to Corinth when I said I was going to come to Corinth because it wouldn't have been for your happy benefit from your perspective. Though Paul says, we have no dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. All we wanted to do was help you be happier. <laughs> oh, that's a sweet way of saying, bend over, son. I hope you all understand that. This is the Word of God. Um, and so the yay, yay, and the nay, nay is an inconsistent, changeable person that's fickle, that runs into a little bit of difficulty, and doesn't keep his oath. The character of God's righteous, the character of godly men, is stated in Psalm 15 and verse 4. Who sweareth to his hurt and still pays. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Lo, I come. Holy Father, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will. Thou hast given me a body, I come to do thy will. To die in that body. And he found out about the price he was going to have to pay and how costly it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he paid it. That is the yea and amen of our religion. When I think on those things, the promise of a godly character is who swears to his hurt and doesn't change, maintains his oath. Jesus promised to come and do the will of the Father. His whole ministry and his whole life was that. I must be about my Father's business. He was committed to keep his Father's business in charge to him. Then in Gethsemane, he saw the full weight of what was going to happen to him. And he changed not. He's the yea and amen of our religion. And so when you look down from verses 15 through 20, you should understand the context of a fickle person versus the Apostle Paul, and especially versus the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would reason, we are not yea, yea, and nay, nay. We do not act like that because first, God is true, and our word to you, when we said we were going to visit you, was not yea and nay. It was not fickle. It was a commitment. Verse 19, when we preach our religion based on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is not yea and nay, but it is yea in Him. And then He gives us our soundbite. And I use that very respectfully. It's verse 20. For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him amen, unto the glory of God by us. And I hope that everyone knows that verse so that you have someone, some man, the man, the man, Christ Jesus, to put your trust in for time and eternity. And the, the religion that we hold to does not change, is not fickle, is not modified by trends or fads, but is based on the promises of God given before the world began, extended into time, but fulfilled by the performance of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the yea and amen of our religion. For our God's promises depend upon Him, and He will perform. Jesus is the yes of our religion. God promised, Christ worked, all is certain. Jesus is the amen of our faith. God promised, Jesus died, heaven is truly, verily, yours. There is no uncertainty or things left to doubt in our religion. All is certain in Christ. God cannot lie. Numbers 23 and verse 19, Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Yet he chose to add to the fact that he cannot lie an oath. When he promised through Abraham and his seed that there would be a seed coming in which all the nations of the earth would be blessed, including us, Gentiles, he swore with an oath that by two immutable things we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to Christ. Run to Christ. God cannot lie, and God swore with an oath to add to that fact. You say, well, that's that's a redundant oath. Take it up with God. You misunderstand oaths. They're worship. It's how we worship. Because He appealed to the highest in the universe by appealing to Himself. Surely, blessing, I will bless thee. And so we have an anchor, Hebrews chapter 6 tells us, for our souls. God cannot lie, but yet He chose a mediator to comfort and help us. And so we have this mediator, who's our great high priest in heaven, helping us. God cannot lie. If we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. But we have a mediator there, and the way that God has arranged the drama of His salvation That mediator is there with an endless life, perpetually making intercession for us. And that life of his is not to be understated. It is not to be mocked or ridiculed in comparison to his death. And so we have the apostles saying, Moreover, and yea, rather, that his present life in certain ways is better than his death. God's integrity to his elect is higher than the laws of nature. Look at Jeremiah 31 with me. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. I want us to think about the integrity of God for God's promises. When God promises something, how highly may we trust it? And when Jesus Christ guarantees its performance and fulfillment with the two of them working together, how sure can we be? More sure by far than anyone or anything else in life. You, you know nothing, and you know no one that you can trust in comparison to Jesus Christ. Everyone else falls into one or four of those buckets. They lied when they made the promise. They forgot the promise. When they saw the cost of the promise, they gave up on it, or they were unable to fulfill it. Husbands in this life promise women, I will always take care of you. God brings circumstances to bear that husbands cannot touch. They cannot help them. It's beyond their reach. I speak of diseases. I speak of death. You say, well, at least I can be there for 
it means so little. Because as soon as we pass through the curtain of death, he is no longer there, and you are no longer married. Yet we make promises. But there is a husband. There is a husband who has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will love thee forever. I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. I have all your tears in my bottle and all your wanderings in my book. And it is written. And he never fails. He never forgets. He's got the power to perform. And he will reach out his hand and take yours when you pass through the dark curtain of death. In Jeremiah 31, look at verse 35 with me. Before you read 35, please let me read it to you. Because I'm going to backtrack for a moment. A sister in this church that is sitting in here wrote me in the last couple of weeks with great delight from Hebrews chapter 8, where it describes the new covenant and the everlasting covenant that God's made for His people. And I want her to remember and to notice that in the verses before 35, 31 through 34, are that new covenant. And so in light of that new covenant, how sure is the everlasting covenant? David said God's everlasting covenant with him was all my salvation and all my desire on his deathbed in 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 5. But when you look at 31 through 34 and the new covenant that God was going to make with the house of Israel, and we are that house of Israel with them of the New Testament, it then says this in 35, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Our relationship with God is more secure than what we commonly call the laws of nature. The law of the sun, the laws of the moon, the laws of the stars and the constellations, the breadth of heaven, the roaring of the ocean, Do you know that our God can stop the ocean with a little tiny strip of sand that from from space you can't see the strip of sand and you've got to have a drone or a plane down quite close to even see the strip of sand but all the waves tossing themselves and the Bible uses waves to describe men opening their mouths against God that all that roaring of the waves ends up in two inches of foam on a strip of sand because the Lord of hosts is his name and he sets a bound to them. But if you can get rid of all those things, then maybe God will forget you. 
God will forget his promises. God will not perform his promises. And so there's great comfort in passages of Scripture like this about the integrity of God. I hope you remembered from Isaiah 54 and verse 9 that God's promise that he would never forsake his church is like the promise to Noah that puts a rainbow in the sky, in the cloud. You women, when you gathered on Wednesday evening for your ladies' meeting, were treated to a treat before you got in the building because it was outside. I had pictures of it sent to me, and thank you. There was a beautiful double rainbow. But when you see that rainbow, you may think God promised in Genesis 9 that he would never flood the earth again with water. But I hope you'll also remember in Isaiah 54 and verse 9 that God will never forsake his church. And when you see a rainbow, you should think about that as well, because just like the covenant promise to Noah, God made a covenant promise to his people. Look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Our glorious God, our creator, the only true and living God, the Lord Jehovah, our Father which art in heaven, created a drama. Human history is a drama. And it's his integrity that he cannot lie from which flows all truth. However, he chose a man by which to display his glorious perfections to the universe. He wants angels staggered by his wisdom in creating a human savior for men. That's Ephesians 3, 10 and 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. They desire to look into these things. He also gets himself great glory by this man, Christ Jesus. And we want to recognize that fact. God is truth. God cannot repent. God cannot lie himself. But he has raised up a man that cannot lie, that cannot repent, that does not change himself. And God gave to him the authority of the universe. We sang a song a few minutes ago that is true, but it didn't have all the truth. We sang the Lord Jehovah reigns. I will do you one step better. The Lord Jesus Christ reigns. And you say to me, but he is the Lord Jehovah. Yes, but God also wants you to see him as your Savior, a brother like you, chosen out of the people to whom God has given that kind of authority. Do you remember John chapter 5 when we were there? Do you remember verses like this? Verse 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Verse 27, And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. I want you to see the Lord Jesus Christ is a man, born of a woman, made of a woman. That holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He's in heaven in a physical body. His physical body was raised from the dead. His spirit and his body were put back together, and he sits in heaven. He sits. He has a body. 
He is the founder of our religion. He is the head of our faith. He is, he is whom we believe in because He is the beloved Son of God and God gave Him the authority, the judgment, the power, the truthfulness, the integrity by an unlimited measure of His Holy Spirit to be a man who was tempted in all points like as we are, who has, who's familiar with the infirmities of our flesh, but who has all the power of God. It's the way God designed the drama. And I love it just the way it is. I do not want Jesus to be a concept to you. Jesus is a man. And Jesus as a man is the Lord of hosts. He's the captain of heaven's armies. All the angels and principalities and powers are subject to him. He's your brother in court. He is not ashamed to say, this is my brother. It says that in Hebrews chapter 2. This is our Savior. This is the yea and amen of our religion. There is no prevarication. There's no exaggeration. There's no fickleness in our religion. It is all certain by this one that God chose other people and laid help upon one that is mighty and by the zeal of the Lord of hosts raised up an impeccable Savior. In seal, one minute, 10, 30 seconds. In theological terms, the impeccability of Jesus Christ refers to his inability to sin. And I'll just leave it there. You'll have to study it further on your own. It's a, it's a philosophical, it's a conceptual consideration of Jesus Christ. My Savior is impeccable. He never did sin. But he was tempted in all points like I am, yet without sin. And this is the one I am preaching to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. I turned you to John 5 for you to remember that when we went through the gospel of John, the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't that wonderful to meet that judge? In, from this angle, who died for you, who knows you by name, and it's called the book of life of the Lamb slain. And he says, open my book. And our name is there. You can't be any safer than to be accepted in the beloved. There's not even a shadow of turning with our God. Does the Bible say that? Is that where we got our little expression? Not a shadow of turning? Because God cannot change. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance in Jesus Christ. That's Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. Jesus gave his own prophecies, and they are more sure than the universe. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Right. Luke 21. There sits in heaven the most faithful and glorious man for your eternal confidence. Right. And he will be there by his spirit, beside your bed, and in you when you pass through the curtains of death. Can he be both? Go read John 14, 15, and 16 sometime and see if he can't be both. See if he can abide with you and abide in you. It's the Spirit of Christ in us that cries out, Abba, Father. Right. It's, he's called the Spirit of Christ. Galatians 4, Romans 8. The apostles on trial for their lives in Acts chapter 4 said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. And it was by that name that they could say to the man at the beautiful gate of the temple, silver and gold have we none, 
But what we do have, we give thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolute truth, certainty, and unlimited power to perform every promise of God. And the apostles got to be the administrators, the ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22, look at it please. Look at it please. Genesis 8, 22. Our world makes a great deal about some global warming that's to happen. When I was a lad, and that was a long time ago, it was the coming ice age that we had to read about in our weekly readers. I just want to show you, unrelated to eternal life, why there's not going to be any global warming. The last verse of Genesis chapter 8, God has said in his heart, in verse 21, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. You say to me, but God said that. God has put the universe in the hands of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 1.3 it says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. I want you to see the drama. Yes, God said it, because Jesus hadn't yet been born. But once Jesus was born and ascended up into heaven, God said, sit down at my right hand and gave Him a rod of iron to rule all the nations. He's the ruler of the universe. Embrace Him, love Him, trust Him, run to Him. Don't ever be afraid of anything in this world. All the politicians in this world combined together and all the conspiracies in this world conspiring together are absolutely nothing but a bunch of little schoolboys playing games. The real war will be fought from heaven with us behind him on our white horses while he's on his white horse. That's how Revelation 19 describes it in the word picture for us to have. Jesus Christ is in charge and reigning over the kings of this earth. He upholds all things with a word of His power. You may, and you should, mock the world's idea of global warming because Jesus is upholding all things by the word of His power, which means the proper temperature on planet Earth for you not to have to worry about all these carbon emissions. And we know that there will be a global warming coming, but it's in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. For He shall ascend from heaven with a shout, and with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all them that know not God and that believe in global warming. We believe in global warming of a completely different kind. When we go to chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9, and it tells us in verses 12 through 17 that there will be a bow in the cloud. Verse 13, I do set my bow in the cloud. And it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. When you see that bow in the cloud, rejoice that God put that bow there. Hold on. Rejoice that God put that bow there and God will never drown the earth with a flood again. But remember that God put that bow and water and fire in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's committed all judgment to the Son. God, there was a man that cost us everything. He was Adam, the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. There is a man that has regained everything plus. 
We don't have to live on earth in some little Eden eating fruit off of trees. We will be in the eternal presence of God, paradise of a new heaven and a new earth because of the second Adam. Put your trust in him. He right now is reserving this earth for it to be flooded with fire. And it says so in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says in Colossians chapter 1 that by him all things consist. The Lord Jesus Christ is holding this universe together and he will tear it apart in his time. And that time is approaching soon based on what we can read from our Bibles. Look at Titus chapter 1 and this is the final verse I want to show you before we take our break. Titus chapter 1, the third pastoral epistle and how Paul began writing to Titus. Titus chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And I'll stop right there. What an opening to the book of Titus. And you should love these words. God promised eternal life before the world began. But that promise of eternal life hangs on the performance of one. It hangs on the performance of Jesus Christ. And you cannot read very far in this opening, and I didn't even read the whole first sentence, and you're going to run into the Lord Jesus Christ for all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Notice the by us here. He's manifested that word that was spoken back when there was no one around to hear it. There was not a person living. Adam didn't exist. Eve didn't exist. But God promised eternal life before the world began. There was no one to hear it. So preachers get to bring the mystery of our religion. The mysteries of our religion, meaning things unknown by natural men, but revealed to spiritual men by the Spirit of God and through the written Word of God. So that's why it says in verse 3, hath in due times, New Testament times, it wasn't true in Isaiah's time, hath in due times manifested His Word through preaching, which is committed to, unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. God our Savior. So there's the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's God and His Savior, charging him to preach a message of secrets unknown to natural men, but known to us by the revelation of God. And so that's why it says, by us, to end 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him amen, unto the glory of God, by us. We're the ones that get to preach this glorious message, that God has promised certain things and has hinged the, per the performance and the fulfillment of those promises on the performance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so everything is yea and amen. It never changes because Jesus doesn't change. Jesus doesn't lie. Jesus doesn't exaggerate, prevaricate, or fabricate. So we trust Him. God that cannot lie, in verse 2, promised before the world began. He cannot lie. But notice, He's going to bring His promise to bear. He's going to bring His promise into force. He's going to bring His promise into action and activity through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so we've got the Lord Jesus Christ right off the bat in verse 1. And we've got the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3. And we've got eternal life in verse 2. And we know that that was secured by the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary when God raised him from the dead afterwards and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. God promised eternal life to us by covenant in Christ Jesus before the world began. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, 9, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It's all about him. Amen. All about him. God made the promises, but God created a drama. And he sent men like Paul and he sent men like your pastor that get to preach things like this. We have an absolutely certain, final, definite, unchangeable, true religion. And it all hinges on the truthfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God wants to honor his son before the universe. Do you love the son this morning? Do you love the son of God? The man who will be with you, who has been with you through your life? who long before you were alive went to the cross of Calvary, who realized in the Garden of Gethsemane, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I know that I promised to do thy will, in the volume of the book it is written of me, but if there's any way that you could take... Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Hebrews chapter 10 describes that so well. And it is by his willingness, his obedience, his zeal, to do the will of God, that he died for us. And by dying for us, he put in to force the promises of God. So that it says things like this in the Bible. This is one of the clearest, most powerful, logical, personal declarations that God makes about Jesus being the yea and amen. He that spared not his own son... He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Amen. If God gave his son the yea and the amen, his dearly beloved son, he will give us everything else because everything else is nothing in comparison to him giving his son. And he gave his son up to those vicious Jews and harsh and cruel Romans who bruised him and wounded him for our transgressions. And so he's the yea and amen of our religion. There's no change. He didn't change in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he hasn't changed since. He ever liveth with the same message that he will not lose a single one of us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.